Thank you, Bert and Sally. And uh, could you turn your Bibles to, oh, and good, good morning to you. Was it afternoon already? No, good morning to all of you again. Obadiah verse 1, please. We're looking at verse 19. As you can see on the board, we're looking at the future remnant of Israel will possess territories taken by the enemies of the northern and southern kingdoms. So that'll be our subject. And then we'll, remember, we'll be observing the communion elements of the Lord's Supper at the end of the lesson. And um, as we normally do every the first Sunday of each month. And uh, before we do uh, do so, not only do I want to now uh, pray for the, uh, the message, but also for uh, the offering. So with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just stand in awe of your grace policy toward us and all the amazing blessings, temporal and spiritual blessings that we have. And to uh, have the privilege and honor of fellowshipping in your word uh, with the other brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you, Father, for the wonderful blessings you've given to us logistically that we often take for granted. We thank you again for our, our homes, our salaries, our families, uh, the uh, the jobs that we have, uh, we thank you for this uh, church building as you provided for and the people who uh, work hard maintaining it and the people in this ministry that you've uh, brought together uh, with myself. And I just thank you for each and every one of them. And I just pray that this uh, offering, this love gift, will be an expression of our love and appreciation for who you are and what you've done for us through your Son and the Spirit. We just uh, know that... Uh, all that we have is, is, is yours, and uh, we're just being good stewards, we're trying to be good stewards with these things that you've given to us. So we just pray that this, this offering would be uh, pleasing to you and would be a, an accurate reflection of how we feel about you and your son, Jesus Christ, and, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I also pray, Father, for this lesson uh, today in the, uh, the second session as we study Obadiah, verse 19, that uh, you would uh, work mightily and powerfully again through your people. And uh, I just thank you for each and every one of them that is sitting in the chapel and those who might be listening to these services online. I just thank you for each and every person. And I just pray again, as in the first session, that you'd help your people to concentrate, to learn, and to understand and enjoy and be encouraged and uh, rebuked if necessary, corrected, and, and trained in righteousness and, uh, and to understand uh, that uh, the great power and love that has been directed toward us because of our union identification with your son, Jesus Christ, so that they can go forward in your plan and uh, in the devil's world and bring glory to you in their jobs, their homes, their neighborhoods, and whatnot. I also pray that you would help me. And again, Father, I know I'm uh, speaking in the presence of not only yourself and the Son and the Spirit, but the elect angels, and not just the presence of these people here, that your children in front of me, I just pray that you would help me to bring forth, again, your full counsel to your people. With regards to this verse, verse 19 of Obadiah, help me to do so in a fashion that's pleasing to you, that brings glory and honor to you, and not only that, but ministers to your people, of course. And I pray, help me to be sensitive, to the hum uh, humble and sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction so that this could be accomplished, so that your people can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, <clears throat> the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Let's look at uh, Obadiah verse 1. And we'll read again the whole uh, book and then look at verse 19 as we normally do. We're doing that because we want to pay attention to context and repetition never hurts anyone, as I like to say. So it says in Obadiah verse 1, the vision, <clears throat> excuse me, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You'll be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home in, on the heights. You who say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. 
All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. And that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountain will be cut down in the slaughter. That is the prophetic judgment against the nation of Edom in the 6th century B.C. for their uh, taking part in the Babylonian invasions against their blood relatives. Now we have the nine indictments in verses 10 through 14, of which again, as I said before in the first session, serve as the basis for the judgment. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you'll be covered with shame. You'll be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, <clears throat> excuse me, or nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. Verse 15, the day of the Lord is near, imminent, for all the nations in the 6th century B.C., those who took part uh, with Babylon in destroying the southern kingdom of Judah. As you have done, it will be done to you, and this took place in history. Your deeds will return upon your own head, accomplished already. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so also, and he's talking to you there, that's the southern kingdom of Judah, just as you drank the cup of my wrath discipline, now those who took part in the invasions against you will now drink the same cup that I gave you, but they're going to drink it continually, meaning they'll never exist as national entities again except for Edom, and eventually she'll be gone. So it says, just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they've never been. Now the rest of the book is prophetic. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame, reuniting the, the northern and southern kingdoms. Esau will be stubble, and they will set him on fire and destroy him. We saw that Christ will destroy Edom and the tribulational armies at his second advent. We went to Isaiah 63 and Daniel 11, chapter 11, verses 36 to the end of that chapter. So it says, uh, there'll be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. It's good is done. Verse 19, people from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau and the people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath and the exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Now, let me give you my translation of verse 19, our verse for the second session. In fact, they will indeed take the, the, the uh, remnant of Israel, the, reunite, the reuniting of the northern and southern kingdoms in the, in the tribulation period, the second advent of Christ in particular, the millennial reign. In fact, they, these individuals, these Jews of the future, the regenerate Jews, will take possession of the Negev, we'll show you where that is, from the nation of Edom. Furthermore, they will in fact take possession of the Shephelah from the Philistines. We'll look at all these locations on the map. Also, they will surely take possession of Ephraim's territory as well as Samaria's territory. In addition, Benjamin will certainly take possession of Gilead. Now, verse 19 contains four more prophetic declarations which advance upon the previous six that we saw in verse 18 in the first session. And in fact, the ones in verse 19, these four are actually intensifying what has been spoken about through the first of the six prophetic declarations in verse 18. So these prophetic declarations in verse 18, as we saw in the second se first session, and we just saw them again as we read the text, they make clear that Jacob and Joseph's descendants will be reunited in the future in order to be God's instrument to destroy the nation of Edom as a national entity and will leave Esau's descendants no remnant whatsoever. As I said before, uh, the people who initially received this, the Jews in exile, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Ezekiel, he went out in the second invasion in 597 B.C., they would find this very encouraging. <clears throat> they would find this very encouraging 
and very, very encouraging and motivating to continue to live the spiritual life and to walk by faith in what God's word has to say. So we see these declarations in verse 18 made clear that the 10 tribes which form the northern kingdom of Israel will in the future be reunited with those tribes which form the southern kingdom of Judah, which were Judah and Benjamin. Now, as I said before, as well in, in the first session is that you got to see these people, their nation was decimated. They're in Babylon, 70 years. They're going to be there for 70 years, God said through Jeremiah. And then they'll be brought back. And this was done through Cyrus, the Persian ruler. And that was a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah going back over 100 years before. And so this would be, you know, the circumstances look very bad, very bleak. We're deported. We're in a foreign land. Uh, our nation was destroyed as a national entity. What, you know, it looks like there's no hope, but there's always hope. Because God made unconditional promises to the nation of Israel, unconditional promises that guarantee the future existence of the nation, and guys like Jeremiah and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Obadiah, and they understood that. And they walked by faith in what God's word said, not by sight, not what the circumstances say. The application we should learn is this, if we don't know it already, is that stop looking at your circumstances. Stop looking at your circumstances in the sense that let them dictate your mental attitude and how you're going to think. Because as I said before many times, and Pastor Peak taught you this as well, it's all about up here. You've got to maintain your discipline and thinking the Word of God, what the Spirit's saying in the Word of God, and not what the devil's saying through the circumstances. Because it's always, you know, the, you know, that Gulliver's Travel guy, oh, we're not going to make it. I can't stand people around. I run away from people who are, who are like that. You know, negativity. Oh, here they come. Past the bill, ducked out the back door. You can't find I remember Bob used to do that. There was a certain individuals that, <clears throat> that all they would do is complain all the time. He just, he read out the back door. <laughs> I used to laugh. Oh, come on, it takes some heat from them, you know. But you know, some people, they're just negative Nellies. I like to, I call them something else back in Massachusetts, but pain in the rear. All they do is want to complain about how bad they got it. And usually those are the kind of people they got it better than everybody else. They don't have any problems compared to some people I know. And the people who have tremendous problems, they never complain. So I remember when, uh, when Kenny was, was dying, I never heard the guy complain once. I mean, his face is out to here. Couldn't talk. He never complained. Couldn't talk at that point. Couldn't complain. But even before that, the year, the year leading up, he never complained. So now the pressure's on me when it's time for me to die. Now I have, oh gosh, now I have to beat him out. I have to act really, really strong during my suffering here. And I don't really want to, but now my brother set that bar so high that now I can't complain at all. He, which is good. So what we need to do is concentrate on what God's word says. Not what the, not what the devil's telling. The devil uses all the voices of the world. Oh, that's why I shut the television off. You know, spend some alone time with God. You know what we do? Do what Pastor Peak and I do. We can crack up a nice big stogie, and we just smoke, and he has a cup of coffee, and I'll have a glass of wine, and we just puff away and talk to God. Talk to God. Spend some time. Take a walk. Enjoy the sunshine. You know, we live so high-paced lives and everything in the computers, and the computers are supposed to make life easier. No! It's crazy! The life is too fast! Stop! Take a walk with the wife, you know, talk, look at, you know, it's a beautiful day today. We're going to take a bike ride, Captain Perkins and I. So if you want to go ride bikes with us, after we usually the afternoon, the good weather on Sundays, you talk to Captain Perkins, and he'll set you up with us. We're going to be starting probably around 1 at 32 o'clock. Enjoy the day. Talk, talk, and enjoy. Stop thinking about, all oh, the pace, and this, that, and the other thing, and Biden's doing this, and Pelosi's doing this, and this is a, and you get all worked up, and you'd be a miserable person. You're making yourself miserable. My mother used to say, Billy, will you just calm down? You're making yourself, driving yourself crazy. Relax. You know? So that's great, Ma. But I finally, the Lord has kind of told me to kind of calm down, okay? Relax. It's going to be all right. Because I, by nature, I'm like, oh, so concentrate on what the Word of God has to say. And that's what, the, that's what the exiles in Babylon had to do. This looked like a disaster. No way. There's no way this is going to be. No. God says it's going to happen. This will happen. So never in history, in Israel's history, have these two kingdoms, the northern and southern kingdom, been reunited and then wiped out the Edomite people. 
Furthermore, Obadiah, verses 20 and 21, which we read, and which we're going to look at next week, advances upon verses 18 and 19 and revealed that Israel's borders will be extended because of this destruction of the Edomites and other nations. These borders are described in Obadiah, verses 20 and 21. We know that Israel will inherit a large area of real estate during the millennial reign of Christ, which includes the lands mentioned in verses 20 and 21 of Obadiah. We saw this last week with the Abrahamic uh, covenant. And God promised land to Abraham and his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Israelites. He promised unconditional promises of land. As I said before, this passage is where they're going to have the land all the way to the Euphrates, and they're going to have it all the way up into Turkey, and they're going to be in northern Africa, and you get the western borders, Mediterranean Sea. They're going to control the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world during the millennial reign of Christ. They've never, God promised them this land, but they've never, ever even occupied even 125th, I think it is, of what, I mean, there today, there's nothing compared, they're like Rhode Island, for crying out loud, or Massachusetts, they're tiny. So, we see that, uh, that each of these prophecies contained in Obadiah, verse 18, will find their fulfillment in the future during the second advent to Christ. Now, the first prophetic declaration in verse 19, look at that in your text. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. All right, that predicts the future remnant of Israel, which will exist during the millennial reign of Christ, when it uh, will surely take possession of the Negev from the nation of Edom. So the Negev was a dry, hot, arid region located in the southern portion of Judah, and it was an arid region of Israel south of the Judean hills and the Shephelah and east of the lower reaches of the Philistine plain. Now let me give you a uh, uh, picture of the map here of uh, this particular area of the Negev. Let me just get rid of this. Uh, all right. So, here you have, and I'll put my pen here. Love this program. So, here's the Negev right here. So, that's where, and here's Edom down here, down in the south. So, here's the Negev, dry, arid region. It's on the way down to Egypt. You see it in Abraham, uh, you see in his journeys down to Egypt a couple times where he shouldn't have gone, and he did, and he got in trouble, and he got his wife in trouble, and he got himself uh, hurt, uh, uh, attacked. So, anyways, he messes up by going to Egypt. Well, that was the route that they would take down here. They would take down, go down the coast. So that's what the, neg, the Gev was. So therefore, uh, this first prophetic declaration in verse 19 advances upon and intensifies the six that we saw in verse 18. And the reason why is because Obadiah is predicting that not only will this future remnant destroy Edom militarily at the second advent of Christ, but will also occupy their territory during his subsequent millennial reign. So in other words, the tables will be turned. That's called divine retribution. So this future remnant is referred to in Obadiah 18, as we pointed out, by the names Jacob and Joseph. And the former Jacob, it uh, is a designation in Obadiah's day and age for the southern kingdom of Judah, and uh, which were in exile when Obadiah penned this prophecy. In the latter, Joseph speaks of the northern kingdom who was uh, dispossessed from the land by the Assyrian Empire in 722 B.C. So you got to study the Bible in its historical context, and that's just what we're doing. It's not how I feel about the text or what you feel about the text or what I think the text says. Uh, that's what people are doing, not only in the, in the in spiritual realm, but basically imposing their ideas from the 21st century onto the text or their imaginations. And that's what they're doing, by the way, to the Constitution of the United States, by the way. And this is some of the things that they're teaching in the, in the, in the schools about you, uh, the text is whatever you want it to be. No, it isn't. The authors have authorial intent. We need to pay attention to what God the Holy Spirit is saying here. And in the church, uh, the, the, the Constitution of the United States, we need to pay attention to what the founding fathers said, authorial intent. So Obadiah, verse 18 here. Let me just get rid of my pen here. Obadiah, verse 18. We see here that it makes clear that both kingdoms, Judah and uh, the, the northern kingdom of uh, Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, it, this first, verse 18, as we saw in the first session, makes clear that both kingdoms would one day be reunited, which will, of course, take place at the second advent of Christ and his subsequent millennial reign. Consequently, each of these prophecies in verse 19 will be fulfilled through this future remnant of Israel. Why? Because the prophecies of verse 19 are advancing upon and intensifying the ones recorded in verse 18 which speak of this future remnant of Israel. Notice the uh, principle of uh, interpretation that I just, just, uh, just showed you. And you didn't know, have to know Greek or Hebrew. 
Okay, so what I, well, that's why I read the, the, the whole, like if we go in a big narrative, I'm going to take a paragraph or a chapter maybe, but in this context, Obadiah is only one chapter long, so I read the whole book. So now you, you can see for yourself that verse 19, the prophecies there are actually building upon and advancing upon intensifying the ones that we saw in verse 18. So remember, after Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah as a national entity in 586 BC and deported the majority of her citizens to Babylon, the Edomites occupied the Negev, which we just showed you on the map. Now, in Obadiah 19, the prophet Obadiah is asserting the future remnant of Israel during the millennial reign of Christ will reclaim this territory at the second advent and then the millennial reign of Christ. Now, when this event takes place, it will fulfill the prophecies in Numbers 24, 18, Isaiah 11, 14, and Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. Now, if you look at Obadiah 19 again, it says, people from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. And then it says, the people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. And then it goes on to say, they will uh, occupy the fields of Ephraim, Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. Now, uh, let me show you, because uh, it doesn't say the Shephelah, which is found in a lot of translations here in verse 19. Look at verse 19 in the Net Bible. It says, the people of the Negev will take possession of Esau's mountain, and the people of the Shephelah will take possession of the land of the Philistines. So in your text in the NIV, it says the people of the foothills. It's actually the people of the Shephelah. And that's what they're... Now, I'm going to show you who these people are, but first, before I do on the map, look at my uh, slide on the board. The Shephelah was a major north-south strip, north-south strip, okay, of elevated foothills between the Philistine coastal plain and the highlands of Judah. And that's probably why they have the land of the Philistines for the NIV. So the Scheffler, again, was a major north-south strip of elevated foothills between the Philistine coastal plain and the highlands of Judah. And it was located to the west of the kingdom of Judah and alongside the Mediterranean Sea. So let me show you another map of this particular area of the world. So let me... Uh, just blow this up a little bit more for you. All right, get my pen. All right, so here we have, put it up here. Here's the Sheffler right here. Right here. So here's the Mediterranean Sea, right? Okay, here's the Dead Sea over here on the right. Here's the Shuffler. It's north-south. If you went there today, it's a, it's a, a mountainous, elevated foothills, as we see here. So it's, it goes north to south. So this is the Shuffler plain. The Philistines occupied this area at one time. That's why the, the NIV had put the Philistines in there. So that's what we're talking about here, this location that will be occupied by the nation of Israel during the, uh, the uh, millennial reign. So after Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah as a national entity, in 586 BC and deported the majority of her citizens to Babylon, the Philistines went right in and occupied this area. Now the prophet Obadiah is asserting the future remnant of Israel during the second advent and millennial reign of Christ will reclaim this territory and occupy it during his subsequent millennial reign and there'll be no giving of land back. Told you back in 1967, the Six Day War. You should read about it, quite interesting. And they were attacked. Israel's been attacked since they became a nation since 1948. They were attacked immediately upon becoming a nation. And then in the 50s, they were attacked with Nasser's Egypt. And then in 67, they wanted to wipe them out in Egypt. They backfired in their faces, and Israel destroyed their, their air force on the ground, Israelites did. The Israelis did. And they, they occupied all that Negev area. They grabbed all that land, Israel, and they grabbed the Temple Mount. And because of the politics in the world with Johnson and the Russians, uh, they were ready to go to war over this, and they said, you can't, we'll make a deal with you. Uh, the Jews can't pray on the Temple Mount. So if you go there today, the Jews are not allowed to pray up there. You know, nobody's allowed to pray. The Muslim mosque is up there, okay? So you could, it's there. And they did not want to take out that, uh, they didn't want to let the Jews up there, even though the Jews had captured the city of Jerusalem, the whole thing. So since that time, they've been trying to negotiate deals to give back a lot of this land. 
And of course, they can do that because one day, though, at the second advent of Christ, he's taken more land than I ever dreamed of. Of course, we know why he's taken. It's been in the scriptures that he's going to, Israel's going to have this land during the millennial reign of Christ. So there's going to be no giving back of land during the millennial reign of Christ, unlike it is today. Now, the third prophetic declaration in Obadiah 19 asserts that this future remnant will, as a certainty, take possession of Ephraim's territory as well as Samaria's territory. Look at the text again. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. And again, there's a perfect tense of the verbs there of what we call prophetic perfects in Hebrew. What you need to know is this. It's telling you the certainty that these things will take place. And despite the fact that the situation for the exiles in, of, in Babylon were facing, despite their circumstances, they had to exercise faith. They exercised faith. The guys like Daniel and Jeremiah, that God was going to do this. Even though the circumstances didn't look like it could ever take place, it will take place. God says so. When God says something, we need to take, his word, take him on his word. And you say, I know that, Pastor Bill. Do you really? When's the last time you feel, got anxious and you were worried? And you know, you get anxious and worried. You know, am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to have kids? Am I ever going to get a good job? Am I ever going to get a good salary? You know, am I, is my husband ever going to wake up and pay attention to me? Is my wife ever going to stop burning the eggs? Am I, I mean, I'm being facetious here. But you, is, you worry and worry and worry. We worry all the time. Is the, is the, the situation in the United States government is intolerable and you worry about the future of the nation. I get it. Okay, we're concerned about it. But don't let it take, your, take control of your soul that you're miserable all the time and everybody wants to run away from you because you have a long face all the time. Don't. Be like that. If you, have, if you believe, if you're walking by faith, let me tell you something. If you're walking by faith in God's word, you'll be able to handle those circumstances that are difficult and very and sometimes intolerable and do so with some joy in your heart. I'm not saying you have to be smiling like a Cheshire cat to prove that you're so spiritual that you're able to handle your adversity. Oh, I got cancer. And you're like, you're smiling. I'm doing great. Praise Jesus. No, you can feel if you're in pain, you don't have to sit there and force a smile. You're in pain, okay? Got it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to pretend to be, you're like a super duper saint. Just be natural and relax and just, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah I, you know, I, I don't feel well. My back's killing me, you know, but you know what? No, I, eventually I'm going to get a resurrection blight. Stuff like that. You always look at the glass as half full, not half empty. We need to look at the glasses half full because reality, we got everything. We're more than conquerors. Romans 8, right? So it's, it's, so it's what God's word says. And it, we, we know we're operating in faith because we don't get worried and anxious and let it take overrun our soul and become, make us discouraged and get a pessimistic attitude in life. Where I come from, Massachusetts, it's negativity rules. And, the, and not saying everybody's like that, but the negativity rules. Everybody's got a pessimistic attitude. And you see this is happening. Pessimism has infected the church. And it's affecting everything. The country is very, everybody's pessimistic. I don't think we need to be that way. The people who are going to rule Christ for a thousand years, why should we be pessimistic? You know, they, we, need to, we need to rejoice of what God's going to do for us in the future. And that's what the, the people who got this book, Obadiah, had to do too. And they were in a worse circumstances than we ever could dream of. Ever. So, Ephraim, we see here. Let me get rid of this pen here. But if you look at the text again in Obadiah 19, it says, People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills, the Shephelah, will possess the land of the Philistines, and they will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. So we see that Ephraim, you might have recognized that name, Ephraim was one of the 12 tribes of Israel and descended from Joseph and was located in a rugged hill country, which was located south of the tribe of Manasseh, and north of the tribe of Benjamin. Let me give you a, a little map here of this particular region of the world. And there is East Ephraim on the map. And this was often used as a designation for the northern kingdom, Ephraim, remember, and Joseph. So here's Ephraim, and this is where they occupied, and here's Benjamin, which we're going to see in the, we see in the text as well, uh, just below them, right above the, the Dead Sea. So these, these areas are going to be taken back. The territory of Ephraim <clears throat> was later conquered by the Assyrians, and the tribe was exiled. 
Samaria was under the jurisdiction of the capital city of the northern kingdom before its destruction. In other words, it pertains, Samaria pertains in this text to both the city and a geographical location within the central highlands. Now, the city of Samaria, if you look at my slide on the board, what was that? Uh, the city of Samaria was located 400 feet above sea level and it offered easy access to major travel routes and the Jezreel Valley. Jezreel Valley should is, be familiar to you. That's where the, the, the tribulation armies will descend uh, at, at the second advent of Christ, and Christ will destroy them there. So the city of Samaria was located 400 feet above sea level, and it offered easy access to major travel routes and the Jezreel Valley, and in particular, the Via Maris, the great uh, highway of the Romans, and which connected Egypt and Syria and other highways that stretched through the middle of Israel. So, uh, let me show you on the map of this particular place, Samaria. So here it is right in the middle of the book. Let me get my pen for you. So here's Samaria right here, right smack dab. Okay, you had Benjamin, the tribe was there, Ephraim right here, Samaria is right above it. So that, that was going to come back to them. God saying, I'm going to give this back to you, which again, is a, I can't emphasize this enough, is a great encouragement for the exiles that are, re, are getting this prophecy. So the territories of, the territories of uh, Ephraim and Samaria belong to the northern kingdom of Israel. And in fact, Ephraim was often used in the Old Testament, as I said before, to refer to the northern kingdom because it was the dominant tribe. The northern kingdom no longer existed at this time when Obadiah wrote this book. Now, here in Obadiah 19, though, the prophet Obadiah is predicting that the future remnant of Israel, which will exist during the second advent of our Lord and his subsequent millennial reign, will occupy these territories. So the fourth and final prophetic declaration in verse 19 also predicts that the tribe of Benjamin, which will help com compose the future remnant of Israel, will certainly take possession of Gilead. They'll personally, personally take possession of Gilead. And uh, so uh, let me show you Gilead quickly. I might as well show you that too. And here it is right here. Here's Gilead right beside Samaria off to the west. Okay? So that is all coming back to Israel during the millennial reign of Christ. And so again, a great encouragement to the Jewish exiles. So uh, we see that the fourth again, the fourth and final prophetic declaration which appears in verse 19, predicts that the tribe of Benjamin will help to compose, which will help to compose, the future remnant of Israel will certainly take possession of Gilead. Now, uh, Gilead, what's that? It was located northeast of the Dead Sea, I just pointed out to you on the map, and, the and of the territory inhabited by the tribe of Benjamin, whose tribal territory lies uh, just north of Jerusalem, we can see that in the map, and south of Ephraim's territory. So the tribe of Benjamin was dispossessed by Judah when the nation of Israel was divided into the northern and southern kingdoms. Now, the prophet Obadiah is asserting the tribe of Benjamin will reclaim their territory at the second advent of Christ and occupy this area during a subsequent millennial reign. So, therefore, each of these four prophecies predict that the future remnant of Israel, which was mentioned in verses 17 and 18, which will exist during the second advent of our Lord and his subsequent millennial reign, will fulfill the Palestinian covenant, which is actually a part of the Abrahamic covenant. We went there in Genesis 12, 6 last week, and also chapter 13 of Genesis. God promised Abraham land, as I said before, and it, it, he built on these land promises God did. He built upon, he, went to, he gave promises to Abraham, then he gave him promises to Isaac, then he gave promises to Jacob, his grandson, and then he gave promises to their descendants. And so it, 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 when you add them all up, they're going all the way, their borders are going to be during the millennial reign to the Euphrates River, and north into, into and, uh, to Turkey, and then you're going to come in south into northern Africa, and the western border, of course, will be the Mediterranean border. And they never, ever had all this territory. So here is the great thing that they've received. They had a bad situation, these exiles, and now God's saying, I'm going to give you retribution. Those people who, who treated, uh, that were part of the Babylonian invasions, your blood relatives, the Edomites, I'm taking them out. I am disgusted with what they did. I'm going to give you justice. You're looking for justice. I'm going to give you justice in my timing. And not only that, but I'm going to give you encouragement and a guarantee, a promise. It's a guarantee that you, the northern and southern kingdoms, will be reunited and you will reign with my son. 
and you will have reclaim all those territories. In fact, I even got more territory than I'm going to give you than that. I'm going to give you the whole Mediterranean, Mesopotamian regions of the world. Now, how does that apply to us? If you never owned a piece of land, I never owned a piece of land in my life. <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be owning a piece of land during the millennial reign. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be over there in the middle. I'm a, I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm the part of the members of the bride of Christ. We're going to reign with Christ forever. And we're going to have the Middle East in the Mesopotamian regions of the world. I mean, you can go over there now. You're going to go visit Israel. Say, yeah, I like this piece of land. This is nice. I'm going to get my lounge chair out here and just get a taste of what it's going to be like. It's going to be fantastic. The millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years. You know, home. Okay, we have homes and all that stuff. They're all temporary. The true home is with our Lord. And when our Lord is in heaven, that's our home. We're citizens of heaven. But he's going to come back, and our home will be the earth again for us. And it'll be a perfect environment. The curse will be lifted. It's going to be a fantastic time to live in. The, the people will live for a thousand years. These storms like we had come through the other day, I thought my house was going to blow over. I was like, oh, man, I've seen, I've seen wind in Iowa blow, okay? And uh, there's nothing to stop it. There's no, there's no trees and houses. It's like wide open spaces. I lived off right off a cornfield. And I had a, I had a, 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 a funnel cloud hit my, I was ready to go to Bible class. Good thing it was at night. Good thing I didn't go out at the time because I would have been decapitated by all the shingles. were like huge. And they were all on my porch and everybody else's porch. I was like, oh, wow. So I went to, I went to Bible class that night. It's like, oh, they got my roof, you know. And it sounded like, a, I was like, they were like, a, the, the, you know, they're taking the lug nets out of your tire. You know, I was like, whoa. And I just grabbed the pillows and trotted into the, the, I sprinted into the bathroom, and it stopped. But I remember, you know, God was saying, don't joke around about those things. Because I used to go and have, uh, take my iPhone, and I'd go, you might say, pass the bills, a really weird guy. And I could take the picture, you know, the video, and I'd roll around the bed, hey, audio, audio. And then I'd send it off to my brother, like, yo, weirdo, and everything. And then, oh, I got dizzy there. And then, so you, right there, like, you know, th that wind can blow, okay? So, the storms are going to be gone. You're not going to have any kind of tornado activity, tornadic activity. All the hurricanes, gone. You're going to have a, it's going to be a Garden of Eden again, where we are going to be. The wife, we're the bride of Christ, right? You think Jesus is going to take care of us? <laughs> we're going to sit down. Somebody said, oh, we're going to be able to eat and drink. Of course, we're going to be able to eat and drink. How do you know that, Bill? It says in the Bible. Wouldn't you? You've never seen it before? Well, we're going to be in resurrection. Jesus ate fish and a resurrection body. And he didn't, and you know what? We can eat as, well, of course, we won't have the sin nature. We won't be gluttons, but we'll eat as much fish as we want. We'll never get fat. Okay? Just think about that. Now, I mean, I have to watch, I have to watch everything I put in my body so I can fit in this suit. Like, because when you get to be my age, AARP age, look out. You can't have too much pizza. You can't do much. You can't have any fun anymore. When I was four, before I was four, I could eat anything. When I'm in a resurrection body, that millennial reign, we'll be sitting down, eating, drinking the best, the finest wine, the finest food. They'll probably have pizza during the millennial reign, I'm sure. You know, Lloyd, can we have a pizza? You know, yeah, sure. But it's going to be, think about, you got to think about the future. I mean, what do you think the exiles were doing? They got to think about the future. They had, they were just in a bad situation. You got to think of the future. This is temporary, what we're going to. The future. Look to the future, and that should motivate us. It should, give us, it should shape our mental attitude and perspective in life. It also should motivate us to be, to be more obedient to God and gratitude. Not because we, we're told to do it, but we do it, we obey him because we love him and because of the things he's done for us, the things he's doing for us now, and the things he's going to do for us in the future, which are staggering. It's staggering. So these four prophetic declarations recorded in Obadiah 19, speak of retribution against the enemies of the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom, and thus the nation of Israel as a whole. How do we know this? It's indicated by the fact that each of these territories mentioned in this verse were occupied by the enemies of the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. Application, you're looking for justice, you're looking for retribution, for the injustice treated against you, 
God's going to give it to you. Let's take, for instance, we don't even think about this. Who's waging war against us? The invisible enemy, Satan. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, that great passage, and there's others. Do you know that God's going to give us the privilege to exact retribution on the fallen angels who've been persecuting us since we walked, we became believers? 1 Corinthians 6, 3. Don't you know? He was saying to the Corinthians who were very baby, immature believers. Don't you? Because they were having lawsuits with each other. What are you, stupid? I'm paraphrasing, Paul. What are you, stupid? You're going to go before an unsaved judge and you can't, there's none of you that are wise enough and godly enough to resolve the issue. You've got to go to the courts of the non-believers to solve this problem. Don't you know that you're going to judge angels? We're going to get retribution. Some of you have been, been attacked over and over by through hell, attacking your health and God's permitted it for his own glory. Like Job, and some of you have been going through certain things, and you're you're saying, you know, a lot of the stuff that God's the people that things happen to us are related to the kingdom of darkness. Don't be don't be naive. There is a devil, and he's got armies, and he and I said this before, the devil he doesn't care about. You know, he's got the, the he's got the uh, the areas that are all wrapped up that are, hate the word of God, don't want to listen to it. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to go down to Huntsville, Alabama. He's trying to shut us up. Don't think he ain't. Because we're a problem. Because God's, God's word is being taught. And this goes for any other church in, in, in Huntsville or the south or the north, wherever. My pastor, Pastor Jim Ricard in the north of Massachusetts, he's teaching the word of God. They're trying to shut him down. And many things happen to him and his family. And it's the thing happened with me. And it, it happened with you because you love the word of God and do it. You're in a warfare. This is not peacetime. We're at war. We're at war. So God says, I'm going to give, just like the Israelites were given, I'm going to give you retribution. You're going to be able to, re- you're going to take the territory and judge the people that persecuted you and ruined your nation. And he says the same thing to the church. That fu- invisible enemy Satan, his kingdom, I'm going to let you judge angels. Divine retribution. God is a God of justice. Don't get, don't get discouraged. There is a God who cares about justice Okay? The Negev was occupied by the Edomites. The Philistines moved into the, the Shephelah after the destruction of the southern kingdom of Judah and after the Babylonian invasion of Judah, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Arameans moved into Gilead. And the territories of Ephraim and Samaria were occupied by Assyria when she destroyed the northern kingdom and deported its population in 722 B.C. Babylon gained this territory in the 6th century B.C. So therefore, as we close and go to the Lord's Supper, Obadiah 19 predicts that the future remnant of Israel will once again occupy the territories lost by the destruction of the northern and southern kingdoms in the 6th century B.C., and God will have given them justice, and God will be blessing them. They suffered by association with their apostate uh, uh, citizens of Judah, and the faithful remnant will be, uh, will be blessed by God, and they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Israel will be head of the nations with their Messiah in Jerusalem, and where his bride will be there. And be encouraged and think about that and rejoice over that. Meditate upon that. It's what God wants you to think about these things. He wants you to put a smile on our faces because, we, boy, we really need it. <laughs> you know, our culture is falling apart, as we know. We got crazy leadership. We got crazy decisions going on everywhere. Well, we need encouragement. God knows that, and he's trying to encourage us now. Well, we're going to go now into the segue into the Lord's Supper, and the, the gentleman will be passing out the communion elements. And then once they finish passing them out, we'll have, uh, give them time to sit down and relax, and we'll have about a minute or two of, of meditation before we observe the communion elements. So if the gentleman could come forward, that'd be awesome. Thank you.
Thank you, gentlemen, for passing out the elements. We now come to the Lord's Supper. Back in the, <clears throat> in the ancient world, in the first century AD and into the second, third centuries, they used to call these the, the agape feast, the love feast, where the body of Christ would worship Jesus Christ, uh, the, our Lord and Savior, and they would, uh, when they brought into remembrance him, uh, his uh, great act of uh, sacrificial love at the cross where he suffered the wrath of God in our place. So now we come for the, uh, the Lord's Supper and we have these elements that have been passed out and uh, they represent something about our Lord and what he did for us. Remember the, the, the Lord's Supper was taken an offshoot of the Passover meal. And the Passover meal uh, in Israel is to bring into remembrance God's great deliverance of uh, the Israelites with the, the plagues, as we see in the book of Exodus. And God gave uh, Israel, the Israelites, to Moses and Aaron, a great deliverance and, uh, and taking them out of the bondage of slavery uh, to Pharaoh in Egypt. Well, Jesus, who was a greater deliverer than Moses ever was, uh, he gave us a greater deliverance. Uh, he gave us a deliverance over sin and Satan. Bondage to sin and Satan in this cosmic system. We've been released and we walked out of the slave market of sin and Satan's kingdom and became a part of God's kingdom at the moment of our justification. And we now we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But that act of love provided us. The, when he suffered as motivated by his attribute of love, Jesus suffered the wrath of God in our place. He lived the life of perfect obedience that we should have lived but couldn't because we're sinners by nature and practice. And why did he do all these things? Because he cares about us. He loves us. Loves us so much. He loves us more than anybody in the world could ever, ever love you and I. And this is what we're doing now. We're bringing into remembrance this. Because all the blessings come to us because he propitiated the Father by suffering the wrath of God in our place. That had to be taken care of. The sin problem had to be dealt with. And God in his justice and righteousness did that by imputing or crediting our sins to Jesus Christ on the cross. He didn't commit these. He now had to suffer the consequences for the things that we did. Human beings, past, present, and future. So he does this. He wants you to know, I love you. And I want you to remember how I loved you. So here he is, the bread. The Jews made unleavened bread, and leaven many times in the Bible speaks of the presence of evil. But Jesus, in his human nature, he didn't have the sin nature. He's God in the flesh. So this, this piece of cracker, this, this, this bread, is re representing the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the sinless God-man, equal to the Father and the Spirit, possessing the same attributes with, as they have, but because he became a human being, that didn't mean his divine attributes were diminished in any way or the integrity of those attributes were diminished in any way and vice versa. So he is the God-man. And so he, he had to be, he had to be uh, both God and man because he had to reconcile us sinners to a holy God. He's the mediator between us sinners and a holy God. We couldn't have access to the Father except through him. In fact, when you and I say in Jesus' name, and at the end of our prayers, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm approaching you, Father, with this prayer request based upon the merits of the object of my faith, Jesus Christ, and the, based on the merits of my union identification with your son. I'm nothing. I owe everything to him. He is the greatest celebrity in Christianity. No pastor or musician, Christian musician. It's all about the Lord himself. So, the juice, it speaks of his finished work on the cross. In other words, his substitutionary spiritual and physical deaths on the cross in which he experienced the wrath of God. What was his spiritual death? He was abandoned by his heavenly father for the first time. For the first time ever. The father and the son were not having fellowship. He was offering himself up to the eternal spirit. Hebrews 9.14 what was going on? The Father, that's why Jesus said, Father, may this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What cup? The cup of wrath. I'm going to not have fellowship with you. And that was what he was terrified of. Not so much the crucifixion. Yes, that was going to be terrible. And so was the uh, scourgings he had, too. An attempt to kill him before he got to the cross. But Satan, Satan wanted to do that. He didn't want Jesus to go to the cross because he knew that he would destroy him by going to the cross. So he was, he was suffering the wrath of God. He was abandoned by his heavenly father. He was abandoned, so you and I will never, ever be abandoned. 
Have you ever felt lonely and forsaken and nobody cares? Everybody goes times like that. Nobody, you know, it's like, he'll, he's right there with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. The father forsook his son. The son knows what it really means to be abandoned. But he's never going to abandon you. No matter how bad it gets in our lives, he'll never abandon us. And that cup, it speaks to the fact that he was abandoned and suffered physically and emotionally, spiritually, everything up on that cross so that you and I would live with God forever. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three on the board, I have it for you, <clears throat> so you don't have to open your Bibles. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And now he issues a command. Do this in remembrance of me. So let us partake of the bread in remembrance of our Lord. And then Paul says... In verse 25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The covenant, new covenant uh, said, You'll have the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit. And his death on the cross, represented by the blood and the cup, were the basis for that new covenant. You are Gentile believers. I am a Gentile believer. We're united with the Jewish remnant of believers in the church. And because of our being united to them, Romans 11 and first, uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, we are now partaking of those blessings of the new covenant because of that, the God uniting us with the Jewish remnant in the church. So he says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So let us partake of the cup in remembrance of our Lord's death. Paul then says in verse 26, listen carefully what he says. For whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he's coming at the rapture, which is imminent. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just stand in awe of this great plan of salvation, and we stand in awe of the great work of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross during his first advent as we observe the communion elements. And we also stand in awe of the tremendous power that he'll exhibit at his second advent when he comes back to establish your kingdom on the earth with us in his, in his, behind, in, in his, uh, in his train. We stand in awe of this great plan, the great future that you have planned for us. We great, stand in awe of the great power of you, your son, and the Holy Spirit and what you're doing in the world today. We pray that this lesson and the observance of the elements today and the Lord's Supper would be a blessing to people and give them encouragement to go forward in their daily lives as they face their various trials and tribulations as individuals, as they go to their jobs and their, their homes, their marriages, and uh, everything that they're doing in life this week. Just pray that this Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance all that was said here this morning. And I thank you for each and every person that is here today and those who might be listening to these classes through the various websites that you've given to us and podcasts. So, Father, we pray for this service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. And now, to close, I'd like to sing us a song in honor of our Lord. It's called One of a Kind.
knows Yes, you're one of a kind And do you cross You give us peace of mind My sweet Lord You're holy and you are true And through your death God's love has been revealed Through your wounds we have been healed For you came not to be served But to serve Oh dear Lord Yes, you're one of a kind We join to you And now our lives are defined My sweet Lord We bow down and worship you You're the mighty God And the Prince of Peace And your reign shall never cease Every knee shall bow Every tongue shall praise You, Lord Yes, you're one of a kind You're our Savior And all of mankind My sweet Lord We lift up this song for you Oh, dear Lord Yes, you're one of a kind And through your cross We leave our past behind My sweet Lord Then no one compares with you Oh, dear Lord Yes, you're one of a kind We join you And now our lives are defined My sweet Lord We bow down and worship you Oh, dear Lord Yes, you're one of a kind You're our Savior And all of mankind My sweet Lord We lift up this song for you Oh, dear Lord Yes, you're one of a kind You're our Savior And all of mankind My sweet Lord We lift up this song for you Yes, we lift up this song for you Yes, we lift up this song for you You're dismissed <laughs>